0: Grab the microphone so they can hear you. can I do this? to have a band. the all the problem problem. no notes going away. in a <laughs> so Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to start in Ephesians chapter 4 and starting verse 22 and to the end of the chapter. It says, That he be put off, concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to this deceitful lusts. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry, and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. You Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole seal no more, but rather let him labour, working with his hands, a thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby he are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness Tying one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Let's stop with prayer. Let me follow this. Again, thank you for your word, and thank you for the truth that's contained in it, Lord, and uh, the guidance that it provides for us uh, as we struggle to learn and to grow closer to you and walk our lives according to how you would have us do that that you would guide us as we think through this thing this morning and uh, help us to understand you and your will for us to this time. Lord, help us to draw closer to Jesus. Amen. So as we've been going through uh, Matthew chapter 5 and 6, uh, we've been looking at these various teachings of Jesus as he's correcting a lot of the common attitudes and beliefs that the Jews had at the time. He said things like, blessed are the meek, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the peacemakers. He even said, blessed are you when you're persecuted and hated for his sake. He also went on to tell us to turn the other cheek when someone slaps us in the face. to love our enemies, and to bless them that curse us. Then last week, as we went through the Lord's Prayer, he concludes that emphasizing the need for us to forgive those that trespass or sin against us. The end verse in this passage that we read in Ephesians says, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, Giving you. He's repeating that same need to forgive others. He also, this passage in Ephesians is, is really a, a passage and it's only a, a portion of the, the whole section that we read, but this is guiding us in that Christian living, that attitude and the way that we should interact with others the way we should live as Christians, Christian, the way that we can be an example to the world in the way that we live. He says, be angry and sin not. He says, let him that soul steal no more. He says, let no corrupt communication proceed from your mouth. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger be put away from you. These are things that we struggle with time putting away corrupt communication. We had a hard time putting away the sin that was so easy for us in our past life. And we need to do that. And so there's a lot of guidance in that. And that's where Jesus was working through in in Matthew with those things that people were doing wrong. The the parts of the law that they were taking out of context or, or weren't taking far enough. And they were just misusing the law to excuse their own behavior, and Jesus is trying to get rid of those things. Verse thirty-two here starts by saying, "Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another." This paints a, a picture of a very kind, gentle, compassionate, loving person. It's expected to forgive the wrongs that others do upon them that's a picture of a Christian that's we see getting that picture being painted in Matthew with Jesus teaching and that's what we see here as Paul's teaching in Ephesians as well and that is what God wants us to be as a Christian that's the example that we're supposed to be to the world Jesus in Matthew 10: Verse 16, he's sending his disciples out, into do ministry, sending them to different communities to preach the gospel, and he says, says to them, "I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents, and harmless as doves." And these are the kinds of pictures that we see throughout Scripture um, describing what. Christians should be like. We should be gentle and kind and compassionate, tender-hearted, like a sheep among wolves, and harmless as doves. In Philippians 2.15, Paul again describes what we should be saying. It says that ye may be blameless and harmless. We're supposed to be harmless as a Christian harmless, forgiving, kind, tender-hearted, loving our enemies. These are the things that we're supposed to represent as a Christian. And I had a conversation with somebody last week after we were talking about this idea of forgiveness. Are we supposed to be a doormat (laughs) and let people walk all over us because of these characteristics that Jesus is teaching? Um, are we supposed to take abuse and just smile and offer them a glass of water and pray for them and love them, right? That, that's what we're supposed to do in every situation. Does forgiving people mean that we should stay in, abu- in an abusive relationship and just continue to turn the other cheek? I'd say if we're not careful, we could get that impression from these verses and from the preaching that I've been doing these past few weeks. What we need to realize in that is that when these things are being taught, they're being taught because we're typically the opposite of those things. Um, That's not our human nature to be these things, and so we're being taught to to act that way. Um, This is teaching us what we should be characterized on our normal day-to-day interactions with our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, and our community. And we tend to need a lot of teaching in that area of how to act and behave properly in a holy and righteous manner that is according to God's character and God's standards. Our natural tendency is to be selfish, vengeful, bitter, angry, blasphemous and we hate submitting ourselves to others. So when you're teaching from that perspective, you don't always often look at both sides of the picture. And so I wanted to spend some time today looking at that other side of the picture um, and see what the Bible has to say as far as standing up for ourselves, defending our family and our friends and the weak. And so we're gonna look a little bit at that today as we carry on here. Um, I want to look at how how we forgive and yet still continue to protect ourselves from harm. And is there a case to be made for that form of self-defense when we protect ourselves even as we forgive others? So what is forgiveness? Forgiveness, there's many possible definitions. I looked up a couple and here's one that I found. It's a conscious, deliberate decision to release feelings of resentment or vengeance towards a person or group who has harmed you, regardless of whether they actually deserve your forgiveness. If you think about that from our salvation perspective, when God's forgiving us, do we ever deserve his forgiveness? And I'll answer that for you. No, we don't. Um, We don't deserve forgiveness, but God offers it freely. And that is, we're supposed to do as well. And when you look at the definition, it's a conscious, deliberate decision to release feelings of resentment or vengeance towards a person or group who has harmed you. That is what forgiveness is, and that's what we're supposed to offer, regardless of whether people are asking for it or whether they deserve it. Forgiveness doesn't need to be dependent on a person seeking forgiveness, and it doesn't depend on a change in their behavior or attitude. actually not for their sake, it's for ours. When we refuse to forgive somebody, they often don't know or care that they even needed to be forgiven. (laughs) And they don't know or care that you have or haven't forgiven them. You haven't harmed them by holding that grudge is basically what I'm saying. You're only harming yourself. So forgiving can help that that person has over you. And forgiving doesn't mean forgiving. It doesn't mean excusing the harm that's done to you. And it doesn't mean making up with the person who caused the harm. Forgiveness brings you a peace that allows you to carry on with your life. Psychiatrists have found that letting go of grudges and bitterness can make way for improved health and peace of mind and can lead to these things. Forgiveness can lead to healthier relationships, improved mental health, less anxiety, stress, and hostility, lower blood pressure, fewer symptoms of depression, a stronger immune system, improved heart health, and improved self-esteem. In contrast to that, they consider the effects of holding a grudge. And if if you're unforgiving, You might bring anger and bitterness into every relationship and new experience. You might become so wrapped up in the wrong that you can't enjoy the present. You can become depressed and anxious. You can feel that your life lacks meaning or purpose. Or that you're at odds with your spiritual beliefs. And you can lose valuable and enriching connectedness with others. Forgiveness is for your benefit. There are often times when a person is legitimately sorry for the hurt that they've caused. And our forgiveness in those cases can lead to reconciliation of that relationship. But that isn't always the case. Sometimes people simply aren't sorry. Or they won't change their hurtful behaviors, And in these instances, reconciliation just might not be possible or might not be in your best interest. But forgiveness is still possible in these cases. Forgiveness. Comes from a change in you, not from a change in the other person. And that's what brings us to the question of defending ourselves and others from hurtful people. I don't believe that what Jesus has been teaching in Matthew 5 and 6 is intended to address this issue from this perspective. Um, So we need to turn to other parts of the Bible to establish maybe a bigger picture view of what the whole picture of this topic is. And interestingly, there's not a lot of verses in the Bible that talk about this directly. We end up having to go from place to place, building a foundation of principles that are taught throughout the Bible and examples through the Bible of what godly people do in different circumstances to see what is appropriating what is good, according to the Bible in this area. If you want to turn with me to Romans chapter 12, we'll just read a a passage there first. So Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 17. Again, I'll read to the end of the chapter. It says, Recompense no man evil for evil, provide things honest, In the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place under wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thy enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coal of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil but overcome evil with good. Obviously this passage affirms what Jesus is teaching in Matthew 5 and 6. It affirms what we read in Ephesians chapter 4. But I see in verse 18, it does give us a little hint that there's an exception here. It says, If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably, With all men. Which also indicates that the opposite is true, is that it's not always possible to live peaceably with all men. And so there comes a time when peace isn't possible and there are other avenues that we're going to have to take. Although it's also very clear that we shouldn't be seeking vengeance, which is what non-forgiveness often leads to. That grudge that we hold often leads to us seeking vengeance. And that's not the direction that we're going with this. We're not ill for vengeance. I'm just talking strictly defending our own well-being or that of our loved ones or, or those that need it that can't defend themselves. So This can come in a variety of forms. We're going to look at, I believe, five points of defending ourselves and and defending others. And the first is going to come in the form of verbal. In Luke 12, uh, verses 11 and 12, Jesus gives instruction for when facing persecution for your faith. He says, And when they bring you unto the synagogues and unto the magistrates and powers, take you no thought how or what you shall answer or what you shall say. For the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what you ought to say. And basically, what it's saying is when we're being persecuted for our faith, there are times when it's appropriate for us to defend what we believe. And we can point to the Bible and give an answer. And this is saying that the Holy Ghost is going to help us form those answers. We don't have to think ahead what we're going to say to defend our faith. But we can depend on God to help us Get that answer, and so there is times when we can defend ourselves, defend those who are making accusations against us. We can stand up for ourselves, just verbally, and answer them according to why I believe this book, why I won't do or won't submit to what you're saying I should do. In the book of Acts, there's numerous examples. Um, both Acts 22 and Acts 24, uh, we see Paul presenting a verbal defense in front of those that are accusing him. In chapter 22, verse one, he says, "Hear ye my defense, which I make unto you." And then this has got this lengthy um, record of of what he said, and he points out the Bible and the history and all these different things to defend why he preaches what he preaches, and. People listen. So it's appropriate for us to open our mouth and argue, defend ourselves verbally against the accusations that people have against us. The second way that we can defend ourselves, it's uh, funny, I watched a, a YouTube video where a guy asked this military guy, him the scenario of you know, you're under attack in, in some riot situation or whatever, how are you going to fight this your way out of the situation? And his answer was, "I would never be in that situation. I'm not going to put myself in harm's way like that." He would have known the danger way ahead of time and got himself out of that situation. And so that's his answer. It's not, "I'm not going to fight my way. I got this technique or that." It's like, "I'm not going to be there." Um, Jesus got himself into some of those kinds of situations, though. So, John chapter eight and chapter 10 both, we see accounts of Jesus being in a situation where the crowd so angry at him that they're ready to pick up stones and stone them to death. And in both cases, the Bible basically just says he hid himself and he walked out of the room or walked away from the crowd. But that's an example to us of, we maybe can't do it quite the way Jesus did, but walk away. Get yourself out of harm's way physically. Instead of, you know, if, if that's an option for us, maybe we should just leave the harmful situation. Then in Second Corinthians chapter 11, um, toward the end of the chapter, Paul is telling a story to the Corinthian church of when he was in Damascus. The governor of the city was sending soldiers to hunt him down because he hated him so much. And he escaped by getting let down in a basket out of a window at the city wall it's okay to run and hide if that's what it takes to escape harm from people. That's a form of self-defense. And so we have these examples of Jesus and others just giving themselves out of harm's way. And there's often times in our lives where we needlessly endure hardship when we could simply choose to remove ourselves from the situation. And what stood in my mind throughout during this entire thing was abusive relationships, where a woman is with a man and he's abusing her. And often the answer to the entire situation is you need to leave. Um, that would, in many cases, solve the, the whole problem, right? But we often complicate that allow fear or misplaced sense of obligation to control us and keep us in these abusive relationships. And so, we just need to realize that sometimes it is okay to leave. That is sometimes what's required to protect ourselves from harm. And I know that things get more complicated than that, and that walking away isn't always the solution. Um, Sometimes we can't hide or get away from these situations that are going to cause harm, and so the next step is the government um, and legal intervention is there for that purpose. If you're still in Romans um, chapter twelve, I mean, start in chapter thirteen. It says, read the first four verses. Romans thirteen says, "Let every soul be subject under the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God." For he is the minister of God, a revenger, to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. This is basically telling us, at the end of chapter 12, it says not to seek vengeance of yourself. That's God's territory. But one of the tools that God uses for that is our government, our legal system. And he uses that as a part of that vengeance distributing wrath upon the evil that people do. And we're supposed to submit ourselves to that authority, but we can also use that to our benefit when we're suffering harm for others. When someone's breaking into our house, we can call the police, and they come and use the force that maybe we are not able to provide for ourselves. So we can go through the legal system get protection for the help that we need in various ways. So so the government is there for that purpose. It doesn't always do a a great job. Um, It's not perfect. But that is its purpose and it has a role and it can be a big help. The next point and these are going fairly quickly so it's not dragging on too long. The fourth point is that that of defending others. In the midst of speeches about how to treat and care for each other in the church, Paul makes a, a statement in 1 Timothy verse, sorry, First Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. He says, But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith, and is worse than an infidel. Uh, these are pretty strong words from Paul regarding being a provider for your family. I don't think it's much of a stretch to say that protecting from harm is a vital part of providing for your family. I would think Paul didn't need to elaborate on this because it was understood to be a a part and parcel together of that same same package. Providing and protection go hand in hand. Maybe we want a little more to go on. Proverbs chapter 31, verse 8 says, Open thy mouth for the dumb. Verse 9 carries on and says, Judge righteously and plead the cause of the poor and the needy. This principle of caring for the poor, the fatherless, and the widow, those that can't take care of themselves, is well established right throughout the Bible and I like how this is very specific it says open your mouth and plead the cause we're supposed to stand up for people and so not just verbally standing up for ourselves when we're accused but we can step in and defend others when people are being persecuted wrongly and we see a lot of that going on in the world and we see a lot of the church standing up and doing that exact thing which is good Psalm chapter 82, verses 3 and 4 says, Defend the the poor and and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and the needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. So now we've gone beyond just lifting up our voice and verbally defending the poor and the needy. It says, Deliver them out of the hand of the wicked. And obviously sometimes, maybe most often, delivering that of to hand of the wicked is going to require some form of physical force. And that's what God's telling his people to do for those people that are in those situations. And so how far do we go in that physical force? Do we arm ourselves and go to the extent of even using the lethal force to defend? In Jesus' teaching, he often used real-world examples to teach a lesson or establish whatever principle he was trying to get across at the time. In Luke 11, and again in Mark chapter 12, he uses an example of a man protecting his own home. Luke 11, verse 21 says, When a strong man, armed, keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace a man arming himself to protect his own home. When he's armed and he keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace, and the next verse describes when someone stronger than himself comes and attacks him, then he loses all that stuff. But it's just an assumed principle that we are allowed to arm ourselves to defend what is ours, to defend our own homes. When we go back to the Old Testament, we can look at the law that's being given in Exodus, and in chapter 22, verse 2, we see an interesting stipulation given regarding a thief that breaks into your home. Verse 2 says, If a thief be found breaking up, and be smitten that he die, there shall be no blood shed for him. In other words, if you kill someone, that's breaking into your home and you do that in self-defense in that moment, you're not being considered guilty of murder. The next verse, though, kind of indicates that if the following day you hunt them down and you try to find out who it was that broke into your house and you track them down and then kill them, you become guilty. Now you're guilty of taking vengeance in your own hands. So there's a different situation and it's presented very clearly that in that self-defense moment when somebody is breaking into your home and you defend your home, it was okay for what whatever needed to be done at that moment. But tracking them down and hunting them down to take vengeance for what they've done is not okay. That's where we're supposed to go back to the law and let the legal system take its course. And so we see some of these being, things being established as we go through scripture. Sometimes our country's laws don't necessarily agree with what the Bible says. Um, I'm not sure to what extent we're legally allowed to defend our homes in Canada. But that's not the point of what I'm saying. I'm just saying biblically, are we supposed to physically stand up for ourselves? And and I see throughout the Bible, um, and including in the New Testament, that that principle stands that we are to stand for our own defense, um, not just verbally, but also physically. When we look at um, the book of Luke, uh, as we're closing up at the Last Supper, in chapter 22, verse 36, Jesus tells his disciples that they need a sword, and if they don't have one, go sell your coat and buy a sword. why would Jesus tell people that they need to go buy a sword? <laughs> this It's kind of a, if you want to think about it, it should be an obvious answer, it's for self-defense. And this wasn't to defend him. Um, right after this, they go out into the, the garden, and Jesus is being arrested, and Peter pulls out his sword and starts swinging it and cuts off somebody's ear. And Jesus' response, said, put that away, that's not what it's, That's not why you have that. You're not supposed to defend me. Because Jesus knew that he was supposed to be arrested. He knew that all that was going to take place. So him telling the disciples to arm themselves with a sword was for their self-defense, not to take care of him. Uh, There's no accounts in the Bible of them ever using these swords. But you you don't tell people to arm themselves with a lethal weapon, if you don't intend for them to, to use it if the need arises. So, like I was saying at the beginning, it's we can't just turn to a chapter and verse um, and get this express description of how we're supposed to respond in various circumstances. We can't always just look and say, look, the Bible says I can do this, therefore. But as we go through and we, we look at the various examples and pictures that are painted throughout Scripture, we can build that picture, we can build a foundation that says, yes, we are supposed to be able to defend ourselves um, when it's necessary. And we can use force to the level that's necessary as we're doing that. But we are to live peaceably with all men, if it be at all possible. But if it's not possible God's not expecting us to be a bunch of pacifists that refuse to stand up for our loved ones that refuse to stand by as others are getting hurt needlessly when evil men are doing harm to others Us as Christians shouldn't stand by and let it happen We should stand up for those that need to be stood up for Uh, Not to be done in anger not to be done in vengeance. We're just supposed to stand up for those that need defended. Uh, and so may God grant us the wisdom to discern where those lines are. But I just feel like sometimes Christians, uh, through all the teaching of this gentleness, the kindness and the loving your enemies, we get the impression that we can't even stand up for ourselves or for our family that's really not true, and it's not the point of, of that teaching. No, those teachings are to guide us in our day to day, how we act in our community, our, how we're defined from the, our day to day life. It's not that we can't respond when needed in a more violent way if that's what's required. That's great, Father. Sometimes it's difficult to to know when and how to stand up for ourselves. Um, The Bible teaches us that we should be glad when we're persecuted for your sake. And yet we see Paul standing up for himself, defending his position, arguing for why he's doing what he's doing and why he shouldn't be being persecuted for it. Uh, We see examples of Jesus telling them to take swords to defend themselves. You see examples of people just being told to defend others who can't defend themselves. So we just pray that you would guide us in, our, in your wisdom as we see circumstances and help us to know how to respond. It is hot standing out there. Pardon? It is hot standing out <laughs> <right> there.
1: It's
0: squeaking, it's a page there. say that